Hello. How's everyone doing? Oh, there we go. Yes. Uh, Open up to Genesis chapter 28. How amazing was Jillian and the worship team? I would buy a million albums of that. That was just so gnarly. I have to have that more often up here. All right, is everyone at Genesis 28? Sorry, Gil. Sporadic shouting. It's, uh, it's par for the course. Um, Genesis 28. Sam uh, told me um, you know, where you had left off. I haven't been able to join you know, the, the adults uh, for the last month or so. I've been in with the junior high group. Um, but uh, he told me 27. I went online and listened. And, and how amazing has Genesis been lately? Wow, I was listening to all these teachings. And Sam... It's sensational, right? I mean, he's just doing an amazing job. So I'm going to attempt to pick up in 28 with, without any sort of disruption to our uh, study schedule, um, where he left off with uh, Jacob's uh, shenanigans. You know, and I think that's probably a, a too loose of a term for it, but uh, you know, coaxing his brother into trading his birthright as the firstborn son for some stew, uh, which Sam had said, uh, I guess, somewhat flippantly last week. Uh, that it, it must have been laced with cocaine, right, if you were here last week. He said it was just delicious stew. It was a comment that he seemed to regret later on as he progressed through his study. Um, it, it probably wasn't, right? And, and, uh, <laughs> and after um, he, he coaxes his brother into you know, taking this birthright from him, he then uh, tricks his father into affirming the blessing upon him. Uh, as the uh, newly bestowed firstborn honorary child of the house to receive the blessing of Abraham and Isaac. And, and, and it's a wonderful story, and Sam shared it last week, of him dressing up to impersonate his brother Esau. And, you know, very few characters in the Bible are really richly described. Uh, you, you don't really get a sense of what all these people uh, quite look like, unless they're hugely abnormal. All right, the Bible does a great job with these people, um, and Esau is one of these people. He's described as you know this this giant, uh, red-headed, hairy man, and so all Esau need or all Jacob needed to do to impersonate Esau is cover himself with some fur and slather some stink on himself, and then boom, Papa's tricked because he's nearly blind anyways, so it was a somewhat easy feat to accomplish. Uh, I had a roommate. Uh, in, in Bible college uh, when I was down there in Marietta and his name was Mark and Boo met him so she could uh, she could testify to the, the, the veracity of this story. Uh, he was a man that, that we all lovingly called Esau uh, because he was this giant red-headed beast of a man. I mean, just as sweet as could possibly be um, but covered in fur. You know, and I think at that level you just, you can't refer to it even as, as hair. Uh, the man was furry and... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he would get out of the shower, and there were ten of us in a room. And uh, he would he would exit the shower, and he had a blue towel and a red towel. And on the red towel days, he would entirely absorb into his towel just this mass of red, you know, walking through the room, shirtless and and scary, hairy, you know, just so much so that there was a gap about this big where it was absent of hair. Then everything else just starting below that space and all the way down, wrapping around obnoxiously hairy and is is just like a grizzly bear on fire the man you know and, and and this was esau this this was this was the man that jacob sought to impersonate and but you don't want to upset an esau you know a grizzly bear engulfed in flames not a good thing to upset and so when he did steal the birthright from him when he did take the blessing from him he then fled uh, for his life uh, jacob uh, you know, was 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 not the man that Esau was. Esau was was a manly man and a hunter, and and that's accounting for the hair and the stink. And so Jacob did everything he could to escape the situation before Esau separated him from his life. And this is where we pick it up in Genesis 28, in verse 10. Now on the road, away from everything he's ever known and ever sought, in verse 10. 
Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway uh, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep... He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. And this is, this is non, uh, none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning that you've blessed us with. I thank you for your word, for the truth that we can glean from it, Lord, and for the way that you you speak through it. Lord, you're always so so wonderful to do just that, to meet us where we're at, to reach out to us, Lord, to touch and change our lives, to minister to us perfectly and wholly. And Lord, for that, I thank you, and I trust this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm not a man that was... Uh, raised around wealth. You know, if you ask me when I was a kid, uh, if my uh, parents you know, were were people of means, I, I would have said emphatically, you know, no, uh, n- negatory. I had to scour the hills up, up yonder, those hills. Um, you know, picking up after drunken parties, uh, you know, with, with cans and bottles left behind so that I can you know, dump out the remaining booze and cigarette butts and recycle the, the leftovers so that I could buy Ninja Turtles. And, and I would have to, uh, I'd have to mow lawns, you know, even with my hay fever susceptibility. Um, I was out there mowing lawns, and I, I just remember, you know, having these massive asthma attacks and being covered in hives. And, and, and one day when I came to my dad and I said, I can't do it. You know, I just I can't go on. I can't live like this, Dad. And, and he gave me a gas mask, and it looked, <clears throat> it looked like it was like a hundred years old, and it was two sizes too big, and it covered my eyes, and it was, it was just, it was, it was insanity. And he gave me that, and he said, yeah, put that on, and be a man, and get out there and mow that lawn, you know, and stop wheezing so much, you're embarrassing yourself, you know. And so I would do that, you know. And I went out there, and I, I earned money, you know, collecting cans. And uh, mowing lawns, all to buy Legos and Ninja Turtles. And, and it turns out uh, that, that my parents weren't impoverished, uh, that my entire childhood was a lie. They were actually, <laughs> they were actually you know, uh, they were doing okay, you know. Um, and, and all of this was to teach me, you know, this, this great practical lesson about responsibility and money that now, as an adult, I really appreciate and value. But then, back then, I hated it. Right? I didn't want anything to do with that lesson. Um, you know, and I just remember, you know, my dad occasionally touting the one Turner family possession. You know, and he would gather my brother and I together, and he would say, you know, it's not always going to be collecting discarded cans and mowing crops of anthrax or whatever that was that I was mowing because normal grass shouldn't shouldn't cause humans to feel that way uh, he'd say it's not always this this house this house is the Turner family house it's been in our family for a hundred years the house that my parents still live in today and he would say in one day one day this house will belong to one of you you know and you'll raise your family here and this will be this will be your inheritance this will be all yours. And, and I remember always the, the look on my brother's face is, is he would stare at me as if to say, you know, it's, it's such a cruel thing that he toys with your emotions like that. <laughs> Saying, one day, one of you 
will get the house. As if he's going to give the house to the second born son, you know, the baby of the family. While we're squandering treasured possessions, why don't we give the family jewelry to the cat? You know, this type of thing. You know, it's, it's, this is it's ridiculous. You're not going to get the house. You can appreciate the house from a distance while I'm living in it. You can stand down in the front of the house at the curb, you know, and, and maybe you can even leave the house now and just make it easier on the both of us. And, and, and so, you know, re- reading the story as the baby of the family, I, I, I consider Jacob and, and his plight and all that he's gone through to uh, create a future for himself. And I understand the man's pain, but the dwelling place for Jacob was just the beginning. You know, Abraham had really begun to amass an empire. At this point, you know, and, and, and we don't often read it and, and the Bible never really comes right out and says it. Uh, but 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 uh, camels and donkeys signified wealth and they had herds of them. You know, you, you read in the story that, that they're collecting all this gold and silver and maybe they were traveling merchants, but it doesn't really explicitly say. And, and they had servants. And, and what type of normal family has Servants. These people weren't, you know, grungy desert wanderers, as I think we perceive them to be. These were people of, of wealth and affluence, and 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 and, and they, they, uh, they they met with kings and tribal leaders. It's not as if everyone did that. And, and here's and here's a man uh, that that had inherited the promise from his father, and Abraham uh, be, began it, and, and Isaac inherited, it. and now. And now there's, there's two. And that's a problem. Right? There's Jacob and there's Esau. And the material wealth is, is truly amazing, but it pales in comparison to that which transcends the material, the promise of God that one day all of the world will be blessed through one of these men, only one of them. And Jacob knew in his heart of hearts that he wasn't that man, that he couldn't be that man, that he was destined to be the other one. Yeah, even though God had prophetically uttered you know, that this wouldn't be the case, that in their case the, the older would serve the younger, and so in this case Esau would serve Jacob. He didn't believe it. He didn't buy it. So he sought to manipulate his way into gaining it for himself and taking it by, by, by force. If I lie, if I cheat, if I steal, then the property and the promise and the prominence, it's all going to be mine. So he fooled his brother. He fooled his father. And it's yours. And everything you ever wanted, everything that you ever dreamed of, in a moment he has it. And in the next moment... He loses it. And, and it's, it, it's this amazing paradox that, that at the same time that he gained everything he ever dreamed of, his reward was a stone in the middle of nowhere on the edge of the promised land to call his own, to rest his head upon. And it's the story of so many of our lives, and it's the reason why so many of us are here, actually. We, 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 we hit this point where our entire lives has been a narrative of striving for that which God has promised and, and for what always seemed was just within our reach. And, and we sought to gain it for ourselves and take it by force. And we came up empty and we had nothing to show for ourselves and we felt hollow in the end and and we thought if i could just get that thing or if i could just be with that person or if i could just be that person and and then we're all together empty-handed and in desperation and this is a trial and it's a difficulty and it's put him in despair and despondency and and no one wants to be there right and and we read passages right because we're all pretty familiar with the Bible, I think, here. Yeah. You, all, you all have read James chapter 1, and Romans chapter 5, right? And you know these passages, and, and you can probably recite them just as well as I can, right? These things that say, you know, that we should count it joy when we encounter various trials, right? Moments just like this, right? This is a joyous moment, isn't it? Certainly doesn't appear to be. No, you're wrong. It's joyous. Stop it. Right? 
And we know, you know, in Romans 5, it says that through moments like this, we, we gain perseverance and character and hope, right? But how many of you, when, when life is great and grand and comfortable, you're on your knees just earnestly praying, oh, Lord, if only I were going through a terrible time in my life right now, it would be so wonderful, I mean, why can't I just experience just a bit of difficulty so that I could finally have some joy, right? Joy is right there for the taking and life is just too peachy for me, right? Ah, it's a terrible lot that's fallen to me. I just can't seem to suffer enough to gain perseverance and character and hope. I really want that. No, I mean, when life is good, when life is comfortable, we cherish those moments, we do everything we can to avoid these moments. We want it easy. And at the same time, we want depth spiritually. And often the two just don't coexist comfortably. All right, so this morning, we're going to discuss three principles related to adversity in this situation. That, that I think are very practical and that, that I think that we can, uh, we can apply to our lives whether we're in the midst of a storm or whether it's a, a sunny day, right? Whatever you're, whatever you're going through. So the first point, if you're a note-taker, you can write it down. Adversity is where we meet God personally. Right? Adversity is where we meet God personally. And... You know, I believe, and I think the Bible bears it out, that, that God is, is always attempting to reach out to us, right, and communicate to us, uh, specifically and, and personally. And, and, but, but most of the time, we're just oblivious, right? We're going about our day, we're, we're caught up in our uh, routines, we're busy, we're distracted, we're, we're just confronted with the ever-present realities, of our existence, and, and it doesn't seem apparent that he's doing this. You know, on Monday, that's tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, um, we're starting our summer hours at work. Uh, so we're going to open up at 9, and we're going to close at 8. And uh, most likely, I'll be there for 12 hours tomorrow. And it's just going to be a big, long, nasty day uh, that doesn't end until September. Right, because our summer hours will last that long, and uh, and you know I I'm going to be working with uh, reading and essay writing students. Um, I have an article to write because we have this kind of a column in in a magazine every month, um, and then I have uh, clients to follow up with, and I have assessments to score. Right, and that's my and that's my day, and and I don't know what you think about your ministry team here at Genesis. I know I've always had some pretty, I don't know, maybe unreasonable expectations for the ministry teams that, that I, I used to work in conjunction with or uh, sit under. Um, I always imagined, you know, while I'm out there in the world just toiling, you know, in my job and, you know, working, doing whatever it is that I'm doing, they're at an office somewhere and they're just, you know, meditating and filled with the Holy Spirit and... <laughs> like levitating above their chair, this type of thing. Because they're just, they're just so different than I am. And they're just so holy, you know, and, 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 and in a way that, that I could hardly even imagine, right? They're just otherworldly connected to God. And, 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 and I wouldn't get it, you know, in, in a way that uh, maybe they could be doing something just completely mundane, like filing papers. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they'd perk up and ears would tune in. They'd be like, what's that, God? Fontana, ask for a man named Fred. Take the 210. There's less traffic, you know. And and then boom, then they're off and they're off saving the world somewhere, you know. And and but that was never the case for me, right? And I don't know about you, but that was never the case for me. And uh, you know, when I'm working with a, a client, I'm thinking about that client. You know, when I'm writing a, an article, I'm thinking about that article. When I'm scoring assessments, I'm really trying to focus on those assessments because they're super boring. And it's easy for me to get distracted, right? 
And Ted gets that, right? He's nodding. And, uh, and it, it's, it's, it, I'm largely oblivious to everything around me, even people that are standing right in front of me talking to me. Now, uh, Boo works with me. She's been uh, down there at the Brain Zone for a few months now, right? And, and she'll stand right next to my desk and say something to me. And I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. Right now, if, 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 I'm, if I can get tunnel vision to the degree that when a person is tangibly next to me and I don't hear them, now imagine how difficult it would be to hear God when we're going about our daily routines and just living our you know, uh, normal uh, lives. Right? But, but, and here's where it gets fun. If God reached out to me, as I periodically do, uh, to my son, and he unburdened me of my job the way that I might unburden him of something that he's playing with that he shouldn't be playing with, like the Vaseline that he covered himself with yesterday. (laughs) Kid. (laughs) Then he would have my full attention, right? Because uh, that thing that he unburdened me of would fundamentally disrupt my life, right? And that's that disruption. That's what we call adversity, right? That's what adversity is, right? And, and, and this became clear to me last night in, in a way that, that it never had been before. And I don't know if this has always been something that's been apparent to you, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I should be up there sharing well, then just let me know, and next time you will be. <laughs> but, you know, I'd never realized this before. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it moved the planet for me. That, that adversity wasn't just some accident or coincidence that, well, it's happened, and now I need to figure out what it means and, and what to do with it. And, and, and it was a loving God that had desperately been trying to communicate with me, that, that, that I was just far too busy and distracted to hear him. And, 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 and so he reached out to me and made it easy for me to hear him. Right? And, uh, you know, periodically when Miles isn't covering himself in Vaseline, he'll pick up a pear or something and uh, he'll call it a ball and then he'll throw it. Right? Because <laughs> that's what you do at balls. He doesn't realize that it's a food, right? I don't know. Maybe he does, but he takes bites out of it. But he takes bites out of his balls, you know. But or he'll he'll walk over and he'll grab the baby lotion and then just start, you know, pumping it into his mouth, right? And and I'll I'll tell him to drop it, right? Because you know I'm a good parent. <laughs> he only gets a few pumps in before I step in and intervene. Right? And, and I'll say, you know, Miles, stop it. Drop it. And, and he just, and he won't. Right? He won't even acknowledge that I'm saying anything to him at all. He's just so fixated, you know, on the, on the, on the lotion. He's just focused on it. And, and it's difficult to, to impart wisdom to him. And I'm filled with that stuff. Right? So, but, but he makes it so difficult to do that. So I have to... I have to walk over and I have to separate him from this thing that he has attached unnatural value to. Right? And, and, and I don't want to do that. He gets upset when I do that. The value that he's attached to this thing is silly, but it's real to him. And, and he becomes you know, just sad and despondent. He cries out and he wails. And, and, and it's, it, it, but, but lotion isn't a snack. Right? And you shouldn't gnaw on pencils. And he goes to the dangerous end of them. He just picks them up and the pencil and the lead breaks it in his mouth and just starts chewing on that thing. I just want him to be happy. And I want him to be healthy. And and, and I just want you to stop for a second and listen to me. But it's difficult to get him to do that when he's caught up with that which captivates his attention and affection. I want you to stop for a second and notice something in this story. For all that Jacob has talked about God and the promises of God, has Jacob ever in his life talked with God as his father 
and his grandfather Abraham had done. Had that ever happened before this moment? No. So why did it happen now? It happened now because God cleared his hands and said, listen, I want to talk to you. Listen, this is distracting you. Listen, I need to separate this from you. Listen, you are attaching unnecessary value to this thing. You're caught up with, with the, the, the camels and the donkeys and all the servants and the house and, and the promise that can only go to one son. And so how can I be that son? And so God takes it all away. It says, here's a stone. Put your head on that. Hear the heavens. Gaze upon them. Fall asleep. Just rest in me. And when he has nothing to call his own, that's when he meets God for the first time. And that's, that's the first thing that we can learn from adversity, that it's our opportunity to meet God. And in every adversity, he can be seen and he can, he can be heard. These things don't just happen for a reason. They aren't just a coincidence. And, and you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, uh, I'm, and I know I'm not like enormously old, but, you know, but I mean, my back's starting to hurt when I wake up and all that. <laughs> um, I, as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to realize that nothing really happens by accident, that none of it is really a coincidence. And, and, I, I, and I, I begin to see more and more how intricate the masterpiece is that, 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 God's, that God's painting. And you know what? Some of the brush strokes are, are harsh and they're dark, but they stand there to accent the life and beauty and color of everything that surrounds it, all the potential that can come from it. That these are the moments, these these harsh, dark moments that real life flows from, that real life can can begin. And so now, Lord, you you have my attention, right? What what will you do with it? And 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 this is what God seeks to do with it. He seeks to fill it with things that are of real value. Right? So this is our second point. Adversity is where we discover the difference between fruit and trees. I know that sounds like a really weird point, right? But if you're a note taker, you can go ahead and write that down. Adversity is where we discover the difference between fruit and trees. Um, I love Charles Spurgeon. If you're not uh, like super into Charles Spurgeon yet at this point in your life, then... I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> because he's amazing. So you should read everything that he ever said. Because it was all, you know, transcribed. You know, he's up there talking and people are just diligently writing and volumes and you could find it all online. Just uh, brilliant beyond measure. Um, <laughs> I remember reading one of his sermons on the presence of God. And he said, God has said, I am with thee. This includes countless blessings, but it is in itself a great deal more than all the blessings we can conceive of. There are many fruits that come of it, but the tree that yields them is better than the fruit. And I love that line. That one line uh, completely altered my perception of of God and his dealings with us. I'll read it again. There are many fruits that come of it, but the tree that yields them is better than the fruit. You know, I think that Jacob spent the majority of his life believing in a very selfish God, and he needed to force those fingers loose, you know, so that he could take from God whatever he could possibly get. And, and, and what he didn't realize is that all the while, God was there, constantly speaking, constantly reaching out, and constantly offering more than he could ever imagine. 
that the gift and the promise, that all of that would pale in comparison to this one statement that God would say when they would meet for the first time face to face. God would say, I am with you. I am with you. And God appears to him, and, and, and yes, you can have all the fruit that falls from the trees. It's all yours. You can take it. He reaffirms the promise. The promise is yours. The descendants, they'll be yours. Everything you want, it, it, it could be yours. But it's nothing without me. And I am with you. Why do you want all this other stuff when you already have me? And I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. You know, God is so, God is so strange. You know, you, you read a, a million different stories in the Bible, and, and it confirms that. You, know, you read uh, uh, about Samson, and, and here was this guy that had just incredible strength, right? He had all the potential in the world to do just amazing things for God, but he was a drunk and a womanizer, right? And, and then, you, then you read about David, and you know what? He was a great warrior when he was young, and he was a great king when he began, but then he was an adulterer and he was a murderer. And then you read about Barak. Right? How many of you are like super familiar with Barak and his story in the Bible? Are you probably not because he did very little and he was a coward. Right? But all three of those guys are mentioned in one verse. It's Hebrews 11:32. And God says, "I want you to know these guys because they're all amazing. These guys are men of faith." They are righteous and holy. And he goes on to say in verse 38 that the world was not even worthy of these guys. That's God's commentary on them. And I don't get that. I just really don't get God sometimes. And I don't think that we hear that in church very often. Maybe it looks bad for me to say that in church right now. But I think that we should probably hear that more often. Because it's okay to be utterly confused by God. He's an incomprehensible God, right? He is so far beyond what I can wrap my brain around. Because if I was writing that chapter in the Bible, I would say, yeah, here are these three guys. They're terrible. Don't be like them, right? And I think if, if you were writing the passage, you would be pretty similar. If God looks over all these men and he just says, you know what? They're great. They're righteous. They're holy. I'd say, no, they're a murderer. He says, no, he's a man of faith. Rahab's in there. I read the story and I go, she's a prostitute. And God says, you know what? She's a woman of virtue. She believed in me. And I look at Jacob and I say, you know what? Jacob was a rich, whiny snob. And you know what God says about him? Nothing. God doesn't rebuke him. And you know what my opinion about him is worth? Nothing. Because it's completely different than what God's opinion about him is. You know what my opinion about you is worth? Nothing. Because it's completely different than what God's opinion of you is worth. I'll go one step further. You know what your opinion of each other is worth? Nothing. Because it's completely different than God's opinion of you is worth. God is so much more loving than he should be. I don't get it. I wouldn't be that loving. God is so much more accepting than he should be. And I don't get that. I wouldn't be that loving. And God is so much more forgiving than he should be. And I don't get that. All I know is that when when he says that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, that he must really mean it. Because some of the things he says, you can't say that if that's not the absolute truth. He loves us. He accepts us. He completely forgives us. And he stoops down now that he has his full attention to tell him what is really important. And you know, we, like Jacob, it's so easy for us to, to cry out and say, you know what, I just want that new car. You know, my life stinks because I'm driving a Toyota. And actually, my Toyota's pretty nice. You know? 
We should have picked a different object lesson. Vu's car is pretty dodgy. Right? That check engine light's been on for a while. <laughs> Maybe you should get that taken care of. <laughs> and we look at our lives and we say, I just, I want that, I want a better job, right? Or, or you're crying out in dissatisfaction and you're saying, I want a bigger bank account, you know? And, and, and why couldn't I have been born to privilege and prosperity and, and prominence? And God steps in and he says, you yeah, son, daughter, a car is a collection of, of molecules, and I spoke the elements into existence. You have me. You have everything. I've been with you. I'll always be with you. We spend a lot of our lives fighting to gain what God is constantly offering. And it's really kind of silly, you know, when you think about it. We spend our lives, uh, you know, ignoring the outstretched arms of God and, and hitting up everyone around us with empty pockets, you know, just trying to pick up spare change from everyone we encounter. Just a little bit of happiness, just a little bit of satisfaction. Maybe I can get it from this person. Maybe I'll go to that thing and, and, and I'll, and, and just, just some, maybe some peace and some compassion and some acceptance and, and some love. And, and, and here's God and he's saying, I got it all. It's yours if you want it, you know, and, and God offers us this, this bounty that I can't understand and I can't explain with anything else than to say that, that he loves us. And we want the fruit and he, he offers us the tree. And if I was the tree, right, if I was God, I would just walk away and be like, you know, those people are, those people are banana heads because we are a lot of the time. Yeah. How many of you have ever read the, the book The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein? Okay, so a lot of you have, right? And there was, there was an audible, oh, in the crowd over in this direction, right? So somebody has a heart, which is nice. <laughs> uh, it's a classic book. It's Shel Silverstein, right, is the author, and uh, it's, it's, I don't know, a lot of people really like it. I was 28 when I read the book for the first time, right? It was already, it was already a man, already just hardened by the universe. And, uh, and I remember I was working with a seven-year-old boy uh, down at work, and he really wanted to read it. He'd always heard about it. You know, so we took the book, The Giving Tree, put it on the table, and we opened it up, and we read it together. And I'll never forget um, closing that book and saying, that was absolute garbage, and seeing the look on that seven-year-old boy's face just sink and sour. And here you have a story of a boy, right? And I think he's called just the boy, right? Yeah. Okay, so was, was it you that with, with the awe? It was, wasn't it? <laughs> you have a heart. Stop it. And, uh, and uh, it was the boy and his best friend, the tree, Right? And uh, they're, they're just, they're super tight and they're always playing together the way that a human would play with an inanimate object. And, you know, they're, they're out there just having a, a grand time, you know. But then he gets a little bit older and he loses interest in the tree. And he only returns at periodic moments to really just pillage the tree. He takes everything that that tree has to offer until there's nothing left but a stump, and then at the end, he sits on the stump. And, and I looked at this book, and I said, that, that boy is terrible. And that tree is a fool. If I was that tree, and that boy came up to me and said, I want to chop you down so that I could use your wood to build my house, which I think the boy did at some point in the story, right? I would have said, no, forget about you. You hardly ever come by to see me, and I'm done with this relationship. Right? I moved on to other, other kids, right? So that's what I would have done, right? And and he said, and all the innocence in in the world, you know, looks at me and he goes, "I thought the boy was funny, and I thought the tree was really nice." And and that's it, right? Because at the end of the day, and at the end of the story, we're all that little boy. 
And God really is that tree. God really is that nice tree, as that boy would say. I saw more of myself in that boy than I wanted to see. And that's why I really didn't like him. It's so easy for me to constantly just come to God and just take and just take and just take and just take. But you know what? God is always there willing to give because he just, he loves us so profoundly, so perfectly, so completely that he'll give of himself until he's on the cross doing it so that we can finally get it. That this is the love that our God has for us. A perfect, sacrificial love. And that he gives us more than anything else in the universe, himself, first and foremost. So Jacob, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And we will get through this thing together. I think the world needs a lot more of that, right? The world needs a lot more of us that call ourselves ones that are characterized after that nice tree to act like that nice tree, right? To be filled with compassion when it's so much easier to quickly condemn those like Jacob, those like ourselves. So the last thing, adversity is where we learn to overcome. Adversity is where we learn to overcome. Now, God never chastised Jacob. I still don't get that, right? Because I would so just lay into Jacob at this part of the story. But he doesn't, right? And here's the crazy thing about it. Even without that rebuke, excuse me, how did Jacob wake up from from that desert slumber? How did you, you have the passage in front of you. How did he wake up? Right? Read it for yourself if you're bold enough. Right? He woke up and he said, how awesome is this? Isn't that a cool thing to read in the Bible? This is how he wakes up from, from meeting God. And why would he say that? He's completely broke. You realize that? He has nothing to his name. He's sleeping on a rock on the edge of the promised land. Everything he wanted in life is behind him. But you know what? The donkeys and the camels never made him say, oh, how awesome are these? All the servants in the big dwelling place, all the fruit associated with that promise, never. What did it? It was God himself. God himself made him rise from his you know, desert experience and despondency and say, how awesome is this place? Because this is the place that I met God. And no matter where you are or what you're going through, right? whether you have plenty or whether you are in need, you can arise right, to say exactly the same thing if God is there. Right, and the wonderful thing is, it's always there. Romans eight um, is a passage that we all know. Right, and the minute I said um, adversity is where we learn to overcome, I'm sure that's that's where a lot of your minds went. Right? It's a big overcoming passage in the Bible. It says, "If He is for me, who can be against me?" And we love that. Right, but the scope of that is this: that regardless of future circumstances. This is what God is saying, and this is why we can be an overcomer. That regardless of future circumstances, God will be with us, and he will fulfill his promises to us. That's what this passage is all about. Right? And that's, that's the great truth of it. That no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord and, and in your life, you have these two, two things to know without any shadow of doubt that God will be with you and he will fulfill his promises to you. So in maybe two minutes, let's unpack those. Because it looks like the children are getting restless out there. That God will be with you. We're not talking about a, a, a passive you know, observing with God. 
uh, that, that many of us might be accustomed to. About two weeks ago, um, the youth group, and we meet on Thursday nights, and we uh, needed to be out of the building, which is nice because we try and be out of the building at least once a month anyways. Um, but uh, th- that time we got like the Heisman from the women's ministry at the church, and they said, you need to be out of the building for sure this Thursday because we're setting up. So we don't want to see high schoolers. So we met at the park, and it was wonderful. We met at that park right over there. And um, we, we had games and hot dogs, and we were barbecuing, and it was, it was a delight, an absolute delight. And, uh, and it was late into the evening, and, and you know, but, but nonetheless, since it was the park, I thought, hey, I'll bring Miles, right? Because he likes the park, so why not take him to the park and surround him with somewhat negligent high schoolers? <laughs> Sounds like a really good idea. So... Um, so I did that, and uh, and as it got late, and we usually end it at 8.30, you know, it was like an actual ending time, but no one ever leaves until about 9, and so it was dark over there at 9, and the barbecue was was you know, done, but, you know, the barbecue, nonetheless, is, is fixed to the ground, so even when the fire's out, you still have a barbecue there, right? It's at the park, and... Uh, and Miles was fascinated by that barbecue, you know, because we were cooking on it, and I guess it smelled like hot dogs, and hot dogs are right up there with, you know, baby lotion for, like, <laughs> for the two top things that he likes to put in his mouth. So, um, so he was, you know, running around with uh, three of the high school kids, and they were the only family that was left that night. I was talking to the mom, and, you know, we were somewhat far away, but he was with, you know, three high school kids, and I'm sure that they're fine. Whatever, right? You know, he's in good hands. But he wasn't. And that was my mistake. <laughs> um, because, you know, a moment later, I just heard this this terrible scream. And we went over there, and uh, he had run into the side of the barbecue. And he took a chunk out of his face right below his eye. And, you know, realistically, if it had been about half an inch higher... We could have been in the emergency room all night, and he could have done some really serious damage uh, to his eye. And, and I, I just remember thinking, you know, if, if there is one moment that I could, you know, drop a pin in and just say, hey, that's, that's when that happened, that's when I stopped being a really good dad, it would have been that moment, right? Because I was completely absent in that moment. You know, I mean, I was physically there, kind of, but he was really doing his own thing, and, and I was kind of keeping tabs on him loosely. But that's not God, right? That's not how our God is. You know, he's, he's, he's not up in heaven going like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal, you know? Um, I, got, I got a lot going on. And it would be just great if he would just play in the grass, you know, quietly and not run into barbecues, right? And he's, he is so engaged in Jacob's affairs that he has a multitude of angels ascending and descending upon him, constantly tending to him, giving him aid. But beyond that, he's there personally, presently, keeping watch over him completely. That this is our God, right? This is my God, and, and he's always with us, even when it seems like all hope is lost. You haven't lost him, right? Because he's there. And what's more than that is he will fulfill his promises to you. You know, it's amazing how many promises we make. And we're so bad about keeping them that actually Jesus says in the Gospels, it would be neat if you would just stop making them because you're terrible about keeping your promises. So it's offensive to me as God. Um, just stop it, you know? And, uh, but, and, and, but no matter how good you are about keeping your promises or those that you've counted on to keep their promises, if they've let you down, whatever you've been through, that's not God. That's not the way God keeps promises. God is constantly keeping his promises and he's constantly making promises and, and you can trust in him, right? You can, you can believe in him. In times of difficulty, you can know that God is with you and he's not going to let you down, Right? And that's what he's telling Jacob right now, that you might not have anything to call your own right now, but you got me, you got my promises. That's all you need. Right? We will be with you. And this moment wasn't an accident. Right? It wasn't a coincidence. 
you know, and yeah, it was a it was a consequence. Some unhealthy habits and overly busy and distracted life needed to be addressed, but but God wasn't enraged with Jacob. And he's not enraged with us. I think we need to let that go. Right? That this is the God that greets you when he's captured your attention. He's not a God that will abandon you when you're in need of him. He's the God that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the midst of the flames. He's present in your time of need. But now is the moment to to drop right to drop the lotion and to stop gnawing on pencils right and and now is the moment to look up to heaven and say this is an awesome place right wherever it is that you find yourself at this morning it, it could be a sorrowful place and it could be easy to say that this is an empty and a lonely place but God is never more clear. And we're never more easily able to see him for who he truly is. Is that good tree. Right? That in this place, you'll find a ladder reaching down. And in this place, you'll, you'll find a loving father reaching up. Let's go ahead and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, for the truth that we discover in it. I thank you, God, for the corrected perspective that we could have of you as a result of it. It's amazing for... Well, it's amazing how I can imagine you as something that you're entirely not that you should be so angry with us and so over us. You should be able to just so easily dismiss us, be done with us. You're not to love us. Lord, and, and, and these places of adversity should be a punishment, and a punishment rightly received for wrong actions, but it's not. You just want to talk to us. Lord, you want to teach us what's really important in life, what we should attach right value to, and what we can let go of, what we've been clinging to for far too long. It's just silly and frivolous. Lord, we have you. What could we possibly ask for? And Lord, you will always be with us. You'll always keep your promise to us that a future and a hope is set before us, that no matter how harsh and dark the brush stroke may be, you will be with me. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.